0: It's Friday, June twelfth. Welcome to episode twenty-eight of insert content here.
1: Insert content here. Words intentionally unclear.
0: Insert content here. Hi. I'm Jeff Eaton, digital strategist at Lullabot. Every couple of weeks, I get together with interesting people from the world of content strategy and digital publishing and web design to talk about the latest news and cool things they're working on and all the uh, interesting, incredibly nerdy topics of the day. Uh, This week, our guests are Ethan Marcotte and Karen McGrane. Um, It's an all-star guest list today. Um, Ethan is a web designer and developer, the author of Responsive Web Design, the book and the concept, um, and a top trainer of champion show gifs. Um, Karen McGrain is a UX and content strategist, a, a frequent guest on the podcast. She's the author of uh, Content Strategy for Mobile, frequent speaker and writer on web topics. Together, they also host the Responsive Web Design podcast, and it is an absolute pleasure to have them. Welcome to the show. It is really great to be here. Thanks, Jeff.
1: Me, I'm the most excited to be here.
0: <laughs> you know, it well, it, it I I was just saying this this is this is a peak podcasting experience for me. So I'm very happy to have you here. Um the the funny thing is like either of you could fill a podcast. Um but like your current collaboration um on the responsive web design podcast and uh, responsivewebdesign.com is extra interesting. Like how how did that happen? Well, uh <laughs>
2: As with most things, it's uh, usually one of Karen's brilliant ideas. I think we'd we'd been talking about working together for maybe a year and a half, two years. Karen, just sort of like, hey, we should do a thing together. Yeah, so Ethan it.
1: was like, hey, I'd really like to work with you, and I was like, you, you, you do, you
0: would, you. you? <laughs> you? (laughs) I I think we were mutually starstruck, Karen. How could
1: I ever say no to that? And uh, yeah, no, it's been just like the best thing ever. Like we, we have been squealing together all morning on Slack. Oh my God, this
0: is so great.
2: (laughs) Yeah, we've been looking forward to talking to you about this. This is, uh, but yeah, it's been, it's been a fun couple of years.
0: Yeah, so so when when did the collaboration start originally? I know I mean you've I I just checked. You have like forty episodes of the podcast under your belts now. I, I y- you are overachievers. <laughs>
1: <laughs> we uh we have started doing workshops together two years ago now.
2: Right? Yeah, last I think last last February, last, I think, was the first January,
1: one. February, yeah. Yeah. So we've done we do about one of those a month.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And It was during one of those that uh, we were, we were talking to the Boston Fed. And I remember I kind of looked up at Ethan and I'm like, we should have a podcast,
2: which
1: (laughs) I'm going to confess was a sentence I never thought would escape my mouth. But, uh, honestly, it was really, I, I guess I like backed into a content strategy because my initial thought was that when we did these workshops, I would go out and, interview the clients that we were working with and talk to them about some of their challenges with responsive web design and how they were implementing it. And I thought, well, that that would be a good subject for a newsletter. And as I was sort of thinking through, well, how am I going to actually do this newsletter? Am I going to Am I gonna email them and email them questions? That's dumb. That's gonna be stilted. And I was like, hey, you know what I could do is I could call them on the phone, and then I could record that, and then I'd have a transcript made, and then I could use what was in that transcript for uh, a summary of the newsletter. It turns out there's a word for that. I know. And then I was like, wait <laughs> a minute. So that's that's kind of where the it came from it was it was honestly uh, I. Another phrase that I thought was never going to escape my mouth, but it's going to come out right now, was content
0: marketing. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to have to tell uh, Christina Halverson, and I think ev- everyone's cards are going to be revoked. Uh, no, I'm, I'm, I'm joking. <laughs> I, I'm sorry, Christina. I, um, I, I always have to needle her about content marketing, but... Um, well it
1: turns out if you provide valuable and useful content exactly. that people are interested in, then it's a good marketing ploy and sometimes they'll hire you and give you money. Well that's I how, mean that's how that's worked out.
0: And and, and that strikes me as like the, the heart of like a lot of the frustration with content marketing, that like providing valuable content that actually, you know, helps out people who consume it as opposed to like listicles with your logo on them, that there's a big difference there.
1: It turns out that people are interested in what Ethan Marcotte has to say about responsive
2: web design. <laughs> it, it
0: is just possible that that is the case. Well, you'll um, notice
2: I do the least talking possible on the podcast. So, <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, you know, before we get too much into talking about like the the details of how you how you like formulated the game plan and everything for for the combination of the podcast and the workshops and the website and stuff like that, I'm I'm curious, like, because. Res- I I hang out with web people a lot and like doesn't everyone already know responsive web design is the way to go and like isn't every I mean I I don't know anyone who voted for Nixon how, how are all websites <laughs> not not already responsive
2: Yeah that's uh that's a question we're still trying to figure out I think um I mean we Karen and I when we do these workshops we 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 tend to spend like the first half of the first day Doing a lot of like level setting. Um, because I mean, I think like there's genuinely a lot of our client companies, like there's a lot of excitement around responsive design, but there also tends to be a a significant number of different definitions about what responsive design actually is and what it means for them. Um, so kind of talking through generally like what we think is important about designing for multiple devices, like why we think treating the web as like a device agnostic medium is kind of interesting to us. Um, that's that's why we like to sort of start there, just to kind of make sure that everyone's kind of on the same page. Um, but in terms of, yeah, Karen's got some great lines about why folks like to actually still design mobile and desktop sites. Um, well, I'll, yeah. Because it yeah. matched think, the
0: PDFs way better.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I don't think anybody calls up Ethan asking for an MDOT site. I, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bet that they at least have the good sense not to do that. But people will sometimes talk to me or call me up and ask if I can provide guidance on building their MDOT site. And uh, so I, I will say that there's definitely out there in the world, still this sense that uh, having a separate mobile website is the way to go. And i I I will I, even then I think now is probably a good time to tell you that I don't agree with that. Uh I th- I think it's I think it's the wrong approach. But I, I don't
0: know if you could hear it but my my monocle just popped out. <laughs> <laughs> Controversial <laughs> stuff this morning, guys.
1: We we can take this offline.
0: <laughs> uh, so what I- I'm I'm curious what do you think is like what are what are a couple of the most common like points of confusion or misconceptions that you run into cuz like I've I've heard everything from you know well I don't lie, I don't think responsive design is the right way to go cuz I don't like that whole flat design trend mm. um you know yeah. to it doesn't give us enough flexibility you know we need to do tailoring it it seems like there's just a lot of misunderstandings about what it even means And a lot of arguments against it are arguments against whole other things entirely.
2: Yeah, no, I think you're right. I mean, I think, um, I mean, heck, back in the early days of like, you know, web standards, back when we were trying to figure out like, hey, maybe we don't need to build our pages with tables anymore. You know, people would accuse CSS of looking boxy. Um, And I think that that's, I think that that's just like, been sort of repeated responsive design right i mean it's just like it's it's the issue of the day and we can sort of like use that as the lens through which to view like a bunch of different things that aren't maybe feeling right to us and aesthetics is one of them um i guess the other thing that i hear you know is that we have to go responsive all at once right that we have to switch all all of our properties over to this new flexible layout and um i think karen and i talk a lot about um, different rollout strategies with our clients, especially in workshops. And I know Karen happens to be writing a book on this very topic. So it's true. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm going to slide that five dollars over the table. The table them,
0: thanks.
1: <laughs> you know, I, I I think that there is. I I I think there are a lot of myths that float around. You know, responsive is bad for performance, right. or um, you know, responsive means that you can you have to send the exact same information to everybody all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but honestly, I think when you start to peel back a lot of people's resistance to responsive, I genuinely think it is sitting firmly on a foundation of wanting to privilege the desktop, that oh, sure. they still are not out of their mindset that, well, but the desktop is the most important thing and we need to keep everything exactly the way it we figured out it should be on the desktop. Now, this is despite the fact that many organizations' desktop websites are terrible. And this is a huge chance for them to go in and fix some things that are broken. But yet they, they go into it saying, okay, okay, we get it. We have to go responsive. But the lens through which we want to make the site responsive is through saying nothing on the desktop can change. And that's, you know, I, I'm going to say again, probably
0: not the right way to go about it. But but Karen, like – the. The desktop gives us enough space to shove enough boxes onto the homepage to satisfy every stakeholder. How can we yep. possibly duplicate that on mobile? Carousels. Yes. Okay. okay. So, well, it's interesting because, like, we've had a lot of conversations about whether, like, mobile first is, like, an ideological sticking point. And Mm. I think for us, at least on a lot of projects, it's not so much that we, like, want to demand that people design their mobile first site and, you know, design a mobile first site and, like, somehow scale it up to work on desktop, Um, Because that seems uh, sort of silly just in the opposite direction. But what we found is that, like, the earlier you start thinking about mobile – it forces prioritization decisions that often just never happened on the mm-hmm. desktop website, and it's that prioritization and that hard thinking about what it, what's what's the actual purpose of this particular place on our site, what's it the job it's trying to do, and are these things doing it effectively? That's the kind of thinking that ends up being really critical, and ironically, actually ends up feeding into like making the responsive design process easier.
2: Yeah. Yeah, no, I would totally agree with that. I mean, that was Luke's whole, um, you know, purpose for making that argument in the first place, right? I was like, back in the day, we were just sort of like having these desktop only projects and then like, oh crap, mobile. Like we need to sort of like tack this like separate experience onto the end of this larger project life cycle. And I think the earlier you can bring devices into the design process, um, the better the product's going to be anyway. Um, so that's why we're seeing more people like focus more on prototyping rather than just like, you know, just sort of like letting the design sort of live and die in Photoshop, and then shipping it off to somebody to produce it. Um, you know, the the faster you can get things into the canvas you're actually designing for, you know, all these different size screens and devices, um, the better the end result's going to be. Um, you know, Karen and I talked to the Virgin America design team a couple months back, and they said it wasn't really about mobile first or desktop first; it was really about designing everything first, which is Kind of terrifying from a scope standpoint. But I was um, gonna say. Yeah, yeah. But I think it's right. It's like, you know, starting small and then, you know, keeping that focus throughout the like the resolution spectrum or whatever you want to call it um, can actually do some really beautiful things for the design.
1: You know, I also think that no matter how many times we try to drive this message home, there is still this sense that Device indicates the user's context right. or the user's intent, and I—I I, I tell you that I have a, a Google alert set up for responsive design and responsive web design. <laughs> and
2: uh,
0: if you, that, oh if, man,
2: if, you if just you share links. See, it just make me cry. Yeah,
1: I know. I, I'm like I'm halfway tempted to start a Tumblr of like just the most terrifying things that get published, and you know, there's this real sense in a lot of what people are saying that you need to target information by context. And, you know, I can, I'm in some, in some extent I'm sympathetic to where marketers are coming from because they're, they're trying to parse out the differences between what somebody's mindset when they're at home, maybe more focused in researching versus when they're out of home and, and looking for something fast. and, you know, they, they they genuinely believe that, one, they can intuit what that context is and, two, make good decisions about that context. And I think that, I, I mean, there's just a lot of flawed assumptions that are being made there. I think mm-hmm. it's obviously deeply, deeply flawed to presume anything about the user's context or intent from the the, the type of device that they're, they're they're choosing to use, because I don't think people, I mean, people use every device for every reason and there's no reason to make assumptions there. But two, I, I really question people's ability to understand the user's context or know where they're at in the flow and make better judgments than the user can make. Like, I think there's a lot of desire among marketers to try to guess and personalize or use context to Serve different information at different times, and when you hear people's criticism of responsive web design, I think it sits on a foundation of, of wanting to say, "Well, responsive means we have to send the same stuff to everybody," and you know, you're saying we're going to have one website that serves all users, and what we really want is to micro-target our content and messages based on all of these different variables, and. You know, while there are scenarios in which I think that may make sense in the future, let's face it, your website's terrible. Like, get your website in shape, you know, get the basics right first. Get the foundation in place. And mm-hmm. and once you have a foundation of responsive web design, then maybe you can selectively identify some things that you want to target. But you don't
0: start there. You start with responsive. Well, it, it's interesting. That you, you use the word foundation uh, when talking about responsive, and that's actually something that, you know, we, we've we leaned on heavily. And, and I've tried to, you know, say when explaining it to people who who are facing you know confusion about this it's not so much that like oh no you can't build apps or oh right. no you shouldn't have a custom template for how the homepage you know renders on you know small viewports or something like that it's that because of this just insanely just vigorous <laughs> multiplication of viewports and devices and experiences responsive gives us like a baseline so that you're not you don't have to tailor for every single device out there with explicit carefully designed templates and apps in order to have something that appears good you build a responsive design to provide a foundation and then you can start doing those kinds of tailored experiences that live on top of that, but you don't have to worry about whether the release of a phone that's, you know, now 40 pixels wider is Mm -hmm. going to simply break everything because you haven't built out all of your heavily tailored stuff for that particular new slice.
2: Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, I think, you know, for me at the end of the day, it's like responsive design is it's an incredibly cheap way to design for just this explosion of devices that travel the web on a daily basis. Um that doesn't preclude you from looking for interesting opportunities to optimize for specific devices or, you know, publish a native app. But I'm always going to advise a client to start with the web. I mean, mm-hmm. just full stop. I mean, that's that's really just like if you want to reach the widest audience possible, yeah, I'm going to publish something on a URL and then look for the interesting opportunities to kind of complement that.
0: Yep. It, it's also interesting uh, on the uh, the context thing that uh, Karen mentioned earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, I think at the IA summit um, in April, um, Nick Haley from the Guardian actually talked about um, the model that they ended up going with when they did their responsive redesign. Um, and one of the keys was that they stopped think, trying to worry about what context a user was in and tailoring it, and they started talking about um, like what consumption mode someone was in and. And presenting different kinds of articles on the homepage that met the needs of different consumption modes, like, um, someone's skimming for updates, someone's wanting to learn about new things, or someone wants to dive deep into a topic that has interested them. Those were sort of like the three primary consumption modes that they were, that they were addressing. And they wanted to make sure that there was a mix of all of those different kinds of things on the homepage. Um, but and and that that seems like it's a very different approach than the what context is someone in let's serve up different content you know different content to them but it still gave them a lot of ways to vary um what they were serving up
1: i think for me one of the the major things that i it, it's like i get these google alerts and i go chasing around the web making comments on people's articles whenever they start spreading <laughs> myths about responsive web design and one of them is this myth that you that that responsive web design does not support any adaptive content at all, like the mm-hmm. idea that and i you know I, I keep reiterating it's like responsive design is fluid grids, flexible images, and media queries it doesn't say anything about what you serve into those templates, and you know i'll say again, like I genuinely believe that for. of the scenarios, 95% of the scenarios, you're better off just serving the same thing to everybody, everywhere, in every context. But if someone comes to me and they're like, Hey, I have a justifiable business reason why I might need to target content according to some, some known variable, time of day or location. Uh, that, that's not a, that's not a reason that you would want a separate mobile website. That is a reason for which you would still build responsive templates and then potentially target different information based on some known context. So, you know, that, that you can serve adaptive content into responsive templates. And I think that, that, like, if I was talking to a publisher, publishers are really, like they, they, they mostly get the idea that you want to start with a responsive foundation, but you do hear publishers talk about what they call day parting, which is they want to serve different information at different times of day. And I've talked to some publishers that say that's their strategy. That's why they have a separate MDOT site is so that they can day part because they're like, well, mobile users use, it, use devices when they're on the train and people use tablets at night and people use desktops oh, when they're dear. at work. And that kind of thing, like that, that doesn't make sense to me. I'm like, if you want to day part, like just do the day parting into your responsive templates and be done with it.
0: Yeah. It, like we, we actually worked with a client a while back that, They said, well, we've got a separate mobile site and we know we should probably go responsive. But right now we're using it to roll out different kinds of content experimentally in order to get different metrics, you know, in order Mm -hmm. to get metrics on it. It's like, well, you're not even comparing apples and oranges or you're not even comparing apples to apples then because what you're comparing is whether content A performs on the mobile site. And content B performs on the desktop site. It, it's, you know, that, that's, that feels like you're, you're really ending up mixing and modeling a lot of different variables when you do it, do it that way, too.
1: It's no different from the people who, I, I don't hear this argument much anymore, but the people who used to say, well, well, why should we bother having a mobile website when mobile is only 5% of our traffic? Well, the reason mobile is only 5% of your traffic is because you don't have a mobile website. Mm-hmm.
0: Convenient. Ha 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 um, yeah. And I, I think, Ethan, you, you mentioned, too, the the importance of prototyping and, you know, mm-hmm. starting to move towards things that you can actually sort of poke at and see how it works, um, you know, rather than just having everything live in Photoshop, um, or at least, you know, as early as possible moving towards that. And sure. it, at least in our experience, that's also one of the things that really helps prevent the, 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 the sort of punishing performance penalty. That um, that I think responsive design can sometimes be um, it has that pinned on it, but the faster you move to early prototyping, the easier it is to spot those kinds of things and adjust your design. Because I mean, it's not like desktop only websites have never had performance problems.
2: Yeah, no, exactly. Or mobile only websites. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think that's a really great point. Um, you know, this uh, this tool of Defining a performance budget at the beginning of a design project is mm. has been huge for me in my, my practice. I mean, just getting everyone just on a high level to do like some sort of competitive analysis, looking at other sites, looking at their own sites, trying to see what current page load times are. And then talk about, for this project, for this redesign, here's how we're going to define good performance um, whether it's page load times or, you know, page weight, you know, just getting that metric agreed upon kind of at the outset before designs even started is huge. And then you can actually, like you said, you know, start prototyping earlier in the design process, vetting, you know, new content types, new, uh, new design ideas, and actually just sort of seeing, you know, where it causes you to kind of exceed that budget. Um, yeah, are,
0: are we spending too much of our budget on this particular page element? Is there a different right. approach we can take as opposed to like, you know, at the at the 11th hour saying, exactly. "No." Exactly. This feels slow in some right. sort of vague way.
2: <laughs> right, right, exactly. And then you have to ship it or then you're in that situation where the development team is taking a bunch of things away to, you know, get things back, uh, you know, into some sort of performant landscape. Um, and I think like if you can do that earlier in the process, if you can, you know, really bring prototyping into the design phase, then I think it's really more of a negotiation. It's a discussion kind of throughout. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah, I would totally agree with that. I think it's, it's, it's really all about how you structure the project that influences how heavy the final product's going to be.
0: Yeah. So, Okay, so d- tell me a little bit more about responsivewebdesign.com, the like this this project you've been working on. Like you two years ago, you started these uh, these workshops and you know talking to organizations that were looking at actually you know doing responsive design and, and diving into it, and wanted to basically bring in the the biggest brains they could find to talk about it, um, and then it turned into like the podcast and. A media blitz. I, I mean, <laughs> like, w- did, did it just sort of snowball? I mean, I know there was a lot of design work that went into the site as well. Um, how much of that was like piecemeal and turned into what it was today? And how much of that was like, part of the master plan when you when you put the website together? Oh, I
2: mean, the, the website was just a, just a one pager to begin with, just really kind of like a master sheet kind of advertising the workshops. And that was it at the moment, uh, when we went live last, I guess what would have been like two decembers ago now. Um, and then over time, I think, yeah, once we actually started, uh, you know, once the podcast needed to have a home, then we actually had to build a proper website. Um, and then eventually we started offering some public workshops as well. So it's definitely grown pretty organically. Um, and you can still see like snippets of like the old design system, kind of poking around. I need to do a cleanup pass and kind of unbreak a few things that I've broken over the last I, couple months. I
0: did notice that the site is responsive.
2: Oh well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, or not, uh, it,
1: it is also one of the fastest sites on the internet. I'm pretty convinced.
2: <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's. I mean, thank you, but yeah, let's. Uh, yeah, part of that is just because I mean the design is really just one, one of my favorite typefaces. So it's we kind of designed to. Be fast and really get the words and, into the screen as quickly as possible. Um, it's
1: about the content.
2: Exactly, exactly. So uh, no gradients here, kids. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But no, I think
0: no, a, no full splash videos behind the uh, behind the text.
2: <laughs> well, stay tuned. Um, yeah, yeah. But um, so it's it's definitely grown up organically, and I think the the, the I would have made different design decisions. I think um, from the outset, you know looking a little bit further down the road, knowing where we are now, but, um, I've been pretty happy with how it's evolved.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, so what's the, what's the reception been to the podcast? Cause I mean, I think it's, it's fills a very interesting, like need. It doesn't, I mean, at least from all the episodes that I've listened to, there's not a lot of, you know, technical back and forth about like responsive techniques. It's about what the impact is and what the organizational challenges are in embarking on that kind of a, a redesign.
1: Yeah, I felt I guess I personally felt like the challenge that most of the companies we worked with when we were when we were doing our workshops, like their problems weren't really the specific technical challenges of of how do you implement media queries. They mm-hmm. were much more around just all the How do you get the entire organization to understand that they have to work differently and prioritize things differently? How do you get a team that is used to creating fixed comps to start working with prototypes? Uh, You know, just how does it, how does something that is as big as responsive actually influence the way the entire organization works and frankly how does it change things for the better like you know this is a huge chance to fix a lot of things that may have been broken in your process and so i think i i came into it thinking there's a lot of other places on the web where people talk about responsive web design as as a Design and development challenge, and I'm really interested in talking with people who led a major redesign, so we can talk about it as a broader organizational and operational challenge.
0: So, how long did it take to, to like to zero in on that as the focus? And I, I, I just to you know tip my hand. I'm sort of easing into like some of the questions about how you how you came up with the strategy for how this, how the podcast was going to be positioned, how the website was going to support that and how that folded into like the, the workshop and training stuff that you do. Like, was, was that something that you knew going into, you know, going into it that, you know, this is what we want to focus on or was that sort of an, an evolutionary process too?
1: No, I think so. We have an agenda for our, we have a two day workshop session and, the agenda for it sort of broadly covers, you know, strategy, planning, content, design, development, um, performance, and like longer term rollout and governance. Mm -hmm. And I think I just started with that roughly as, as the topics that we would cover. And I wrote up some interview questions that fit into each of those topics. Both Ethan and I feel pretty confident we were covering the range of topics that, that came up most often. Those questions uh, or those themes really informed the questions that we ask on the podcast. And I'll, I'll say, I don't think that those, those major themes have changed much at all. Um, when we're actually doing the podcast, Ethan and I have sort of a back channel of, you know, I'm going to ask this question next or why don't you ask this question next. So <laughs> the questions that we ask vary slightly from interview to interview, but I think we try to cover each of those themes in every session. Ethan probably also noticed that that wound up being the uh, the outline for my book. So <laughs> convenient. I'll slip you. A, I'll slip welcome. you a
0: twenty next time I see you. That's fair. That's fair. Are are you are you both located in New York? No, I'm in I'm in Boston. I'm not cool enough for the city. Uh, well, Boston is a very cool city yeah. in and of itself. It does
2: okay. It does yes. okay.
0: Um, okay, so so like you're you're also collaborating remotely on, on on the podcast related stuff too, right?
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, we pretty much just sit in a Slack channel all day, and um, you know, Karen sends me awful links about responsive design, and I fix the website sometimes. Uh, so yeah, it works out okay.
0: That that's a good system. Um, so like the, the design process and the development process for the website, was that something that, uh, that you primarily tackled Ethan or was there like distance collaboration involved in that?
2: Uh, yeah. I mean, it was pretty loose for the most part. Like Karen and I would talk a little bit about design concepts, um, you know, she she sort of we. It was actually really helpful because when we sort of sat down to work on the podcast, she kind of came up with a whole content model for individual episodes and sort of what was actually going to need to um, you know just sort of be managed within the CMS. And I should probably state from the outset that I barely understand how Photoshop works, so the fact that I actually had to build this website and you know get some content management system up was a small miracle. But um,
1: I think I sent you a. a- wireframe that i hand drew on a post-it note so that was that was my my contribution to the design process keep keep
2: it lightweight early (laughs) low (laughs) fidelity exactly mvp so yeah yeah i mean we just kind of i sketched out some ideas in illustrator sent them over to karen um you know we talked about some opportunities to kind of change things up a little bit and then we kind of went right into prototyping um so i sort of mocked up just a responsive layout for a few templates um you know, Again, we kind of just kept things really informal and just everything through GitHub or through Slack, just sort of refining things as we went. And then um, we talked about a couple of different content management system options and I kind of settled on Jekyll as one opportunity really without having known anything about Jekyll.
0: <laughs> Jekyll is pretty much like volunteering to be the content management system.
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, and again, I'm, I'm primarily a front-end person, so I mm-hmm. made a choice without really knowing much about what I was getting into. But um, I, I would say for the most part it's been great, especially for managing both the podcast and the non-podcast sections of the site, um, given that it doesn't really do like individual chunks of content, especially effectively. Um, most of our podcast episode, you know, content files are just basically like they have these massive front matter sections with all the different content types we're trying to to manage, um, uh, which is. I, I feel bad for Karen McGrain every time she has to produce another one of these episodes because it's like there's like five levels of nesting for some of these lists. But
1: uh, oh, it's super easy. Yeah, uh, it's super easy. I have no problem with it at all. See that
0: that's 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 interesting because like I know I I do my my own site in uh, in Jekyll and. Um, it, it's totally manageable at that scale, but I've mm-hmm. never really tried to produce something that really required a huge amount of front matter.
2: Yeah, and when I say huge amount, I mean, it's like, um, you know, if we want to have two guests, that's two entries and then, you know, some sort of array up top. Um, so it's, it's manageable. And in fact, just last week, I found some, some plug-in for Jekyll that allows you to do different content blocks in the actual content area, which would have been really nice to know about last year. Um, But, uh, you know, overall, like, it's a really lightweight system. And, you know, aside from a little bit of extra complexity in the podcast episodes, I've been really enjoying getting to know Jekyll overall.
0: So what's been, like, the best... Or best and worst parts of like putting together essentially a media campaign and, you know, all of the content to support it. And, you know, both from like an educational and a a marketing perspective, like what what, what, what are the highs and the lows?
1: Honestly, there aren't any lows. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) it's I I, people always ask this and I I guess I'm a little bit surprised myself at how easy this is, but Mm. it's been really easy. Um, I think in, working in our favor is that we record about six weeks out. Yeah. So mm-hmm. and so what that means is that rather than having to scramble each week to get an episode out, I usually batch four or five, six of them up at once and do all of the production work that I need to do all at one time, often when I'm on a plane or something. Yeah. So it's really nice because it, it, I find that the production work, when I do it that way, it winds up filling some dead time where – Like I'm on a plane and it would be nice to have something to occupy my brain, but I don't want it to be too complicated and doing podcast productions. Perfect. And, and then we, yeah, it just happens. Like, I don't think we've, you know, the most thing that's ever gone wrong with it is that sometimes I tweet a little bit late.
0: You're targeting the most effective time to reach your audience.
2: (laughs) Exactly. I mean, and we do also have some, some fantastic help too. I mean, uh, Aaron Schroeder's our uh, our sound engineer, and he does a really great job, sort of cleaning up some of the stuff. And Selena Anderson uh, is Karen's assistant; she does a really great job, just sort of like, you know, ironing out all the logistics and lining up times for these interviews to happen. But yeah, the actual, I, like, yeah,
1: I, I got to give a shout out to Selena because it's true; there's no way we could do this without Selena. She is a she is a hero. We also yeah. have a fantastic uh, guy named Seth Lavelle who does the transcripts. So so yes, we have a, it, it. Takes a village.
0: Yeah, it, uh, it does. It, it it sounds like it's a pretty a pretty well oiled machine though, so that's cool. Yeah, it's been it's great. Cool. So you've also got, like, like on, on the actual, like, event side, like, you've got a a whole pile of interesting stuff queued up over the next, like, couple of months, uh, like, workshops, you know, training events and stuff like that. Is there anything in particular coming up that, uh, that uh, you're, you're looking forward to?
1: I'll give a shout out to a full day workshop that we're going to be doing jointly at Design Content Conference in Vancouver in August. So that's going to be... I, I think that's our next joint public appearance.
2: I think that is correct. Yep.
0: Yeah, I, I will be there. I am definitely looking forward to that. I know. Could I not
1: be more excited? I I, I am as excited as it's physically possible to be. <laughs> and then we're working with Eric Westra, who also I'll give a shout out to him as being mm-hmm. genuinely awesome human being. He is our event producer, and so we will definitely be doing a couple of more couple more events. At the end of this year, sometime this fall, but we haven't
0: gotten those scheduled yet. Okay, yep. so I, I'm I'm assuming that uh, you know keeping an eye on responsivewebdesign.com is the best way to be ready for that, right?
1: You know what you could do is sign up for our newsletter. <laughs> if you go to responsivewebdesign.com/newsletter.
2: Oh n- well, well done, well well played. That was very on brand, Karen. Nice work. <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh, and and actually, I think you're you're also one of the uh, one of the keynote speakers at a uh, Drupal North. I am.
1: I'm gonna come and hang out with you and James Walker in Toronto and we're gonna
0: have a good time. But um so before we go, I, I'm I'm curious, like to any other folks who are looking down the barrel of like a project similar to this one, you know, putting together the support structure for it and you know, educational slash promotional stuff, is there is there any kind of advice that the two of you would offer?
2: Uh well um I know for me like if I could recommend somebody working with Karen McGrain I think that would go a long way to making your project go well. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um
1: right back at you. It's like the- <laughs> start start by working with Ethan Marcotte, and then apparently the rest of it just becomes super fun and easy.
2: Yeah. Um advice? I mean, I don't know. I think uh, like overall, I mean, I think like the nice thing that I've found about working on the site with Karen is like there's not a lot of overhead. It's really about just kind of getting the idea down on paper, sometimes literally, and just sort of sh- shooting it over to my collaborator. And if you can work with somebody whose opinion you really trust and who's got a really keen idea of where things might need to go, um, you know, just kind of breaking down that, I, that, I don't know, uh, some of those timelines and deadlines and really just kind of getting ideas sort of circulated as quickly as possible has been really helpful for me anyway.
1: For me, the the thing that really sparked creating all of this was knowing that I could pretty easily get a transcript made of an audio file. Like that's honestly where that started for me. And I think that digital tools or, uh, you know, being able to use something like mechanical Turk, which is what I started Mm -hmm. using on Amazon to do the transcripts. Like there's a lot out there that can streamline these sorts of processes. And like you, Eaton, you've got a whole crazy soundboard mixing system set up here. We, we just hired a guy to do that for us. Um.
2: <laughs> <laughs> just saying. <laughs>
1: but you know, I think it's it's knowing what you what what you can reasonably take on and mm-hmm. what makes sense to have somebody else take care of for you, mm-hmm. and. Uh, you know, recognizing that there's a lot of tools out there that probably could help you do something like this in a pretty streamlined way.
0: Well, I want to say thank you very much to both of you. It's been an absolute pleasure, and uh, I think we, we we covered even more interesting stuff than than I'd been hoping for. So, thank you very much. You two are like my favorite people.
2: <laughs> yeah, I've been looking forward to this all week.
0: I, I have animated gifts ready to go out for the tweet. I, I'm I'm on the edge of my seat. But uh, well, so thank you so much for joining us. And uh, if anybody's interested in more information, they can go to uh, responsivewebdesign.com um, or EthanMarkott.com, uh, uh You, you people are, have like some on-brand web, you know, like domain names. My compliments. But thank you, and have a great day.
2: Thanks, Jeff. You too.
0: Thank you. Thanks for listening to Insert Content Here. If you'd like to catch up on our archives or keep up on our new episodes, visit us at lullabot.com slash ideas slash podcasts slash insert content here. You can also visit us directly at insertcontenthere.com.